0: Welcome to the primary ride home for Wednesday, May 8th, 2019. I'm your host, Chris Higgins. Today, a deep dive into why the Democratic primaries are on different dates and every state doesn't just go all at once. Gillibrand says she'll only nominate judges who will uphold Roe v. Wade. And a look at Fox News and its unlikely position as a power player in the Democratic primary. Here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. up today and yeah this is going to be a long story i want to dig into a question that's been bugging me for a long time the question is how come some states hold their primaries and caucuses so late in the calendar year that they don't affect the overall outcome of who gets to be the actual democratic candidate for president like why specifically would any state choose to do that knowing that the earlier you go the more impactful your vote is doesn't having the primary early bring candidates to your state which would presumably be good for at least the economy, if nothing else. And note that throughout this segment, I am almost entirely talking about Democrats. The Republican system is a little different, and that's a whole other story. Okay, so this thing of moving primaries earlier got a lot more interesting for me in recent weeks when Washington State, just to the north of me, did just that. Suddenly, that state's primary is gonna matter for the first time ever. And everybody here is excited about that because it means primary candidates might actually show up. And yeah, there is already a major candidate from Washington state, that's Governor Jay Inslee, but given his numbers in national polls, I'm pretty sure others could grab some support even in his home state. And Oregon, my home state, is moving its primary up too as soon as the legislation has fully passed, through all the hoops, and the governor signs it, and so on. And then there's yet another western state about to move its primary up right now. That's Colorado, another state with big representation in the primary field. Both Michael Bennett and John Hickenlooper are from that state. In Colorado, two big things have recently changed. They have ditched the caucus model in favor of a primary, and state Democrats want to hold that primary on Super Tuesday, which in 2020 happens on March 3rd. Super Tuesday, by the way, is the day of the biggest primaries. It is the single day when the most delegates nationwide are assigned in the Democratic primary. So I guess a little primary 101 is in order here, just to back up and make sure we're using the right terminology and stuff. We're going to start at the end. At the end of the Democratic primary process is the Democratic National Convention. It'll be held in Milwaukee from July 13th through 16th of 2020. At that convention, the main event is the Democratic Party delegates selected from the states will vote to determine who is the Democratic Party candidate who will then run in the general election. Cool. So, leading up to the convention, each state has to pick its delegates to send there and tell them how to vote. Some states do that via a caucus system, which is the older model. In the caucus system, basically you get a bunch of people in a room and hold an informal vote. Either a show of hands, a voice vote people moving from one side of the room to the other, whatever, in combination with sort of a mini-debate from partisans for given candidates. There are speeches, there is discussion, it's a whole thing. Caucuses often last for many, many hours, and there are also a lot of steps in the process. It can take months to conclude the full caucus process, although the most important part happens on the first day. So caucuses are actually pretty cool, and they tend to lead to more educated voters, but lots of people dislike them because they have to physically show up at a certain time and talk and vote and talk some more and vote some more, potentially for many hours. A lot of voters prefer a primary election where you punch a ballot on your lunch break and you move on with your life. And at this point, there are only five states remaining using the caucus model for the Democratic primary. All right, so let's go back to the original question. Why do different states hold their primaries and caucuses on different dates? Well, I am about to get all the way into that, but I do want to point out that for many decades now, the idea of a national primary day, a single day when all those votes would happen, has been floated over and over. You can go back in history and find this dozens of times. And both major parties have turned it down. Why? Why? Well, the basic argument is that it turns the primary race into a national race rather than a whole bunch of smaller state races. And one of the real problems involved in that is that the whole point of using states for your primaries is to get candidates to go around the actual country to the actual places and hear from diverse voters what they think. If you stop doing that and turn the primary into a national vote, then you have the same kinds of problems you have in the general election, which I'm not going to get into here, but the point is, lots of states with lower populations would end up being ignored. Another side effect would be that much of that campaign would move straight to national media, like TV, which is what we see in general elections. And that would be a big bummer, because going to rallies in person in lots of diverse places is something that exposes candidates to voters and vice versa. So, both political parties believe that process is worth it, and indeed, the Democratic Party intentionally set up this system so that candidates had to go out and compete in these mini-races before the big show. Right now, the relatively small population states of Iowa and New Hampshire are the first to hold their primary contests. Iowa goes first on February 3rd, and then New Hampshire goes on February 11th. And they've held on to that super early position by threatening politicians and other states not to try to go earlier. In 1996, for instance, Louisiana got a bright idea and held its caucus about a week before Iowa. And the folks in Iowa said to the candidates, basically, don't go to Louisiana. And if you do, we're going to vote against you here to punish you. Ah, democracy in action. Isn't it beautiful? Yeah, so the outcome there between the caucuses in Louisiana and Iowa was very, very different. Pat Buchanan won Louisiana, and Bob Dole won Iowa. Hmm. And who was the eventual nominee? Bob Dole. By the way, side note, I'm talking about Republicans here because in 96, Bill Clinton was running unopposed on the Democratic side for his second term. So those caucuses were all about Republicans. Anyway, after that whole Louisiana versus Iowa thing, an important lesson was learned, which was, basically, don't mess with Iowa. Oh, and guess what? Both Iowa and New Hampshire have state laws requiring them to move their caucus and primary even earlier than other states if those states make serious attempts to jump the line. They both protect their first-in-the-nation status, and because one is a caucus and one is a primary, they can each claim to be, you know, First. So, what we have here is a classic arms race. If you move your primary, well, I'm going to move my primary. And so on, and so on, and so on. So, over the years, a kind of detente has slowly developed. And that is Super Tuesday, the aforementioned day in March, an entire month after Iowa votes, which seems to suit all sides. It is long enough after both Iowa and New Hampshire not to steal their thunder but still way earlier than the actual convention in July. For what it's worth, there are also two more states with protected early dates, and those are Nevada and South Carolina. There is a very useful link in today's show notes to a 2020 presidential primary calendar maintained by Josh Putnam. It is the most definitive resource that I have found that lays out all the dates, plus all the laws and decisions and stuff leading to those dates. And it even has a downloadable calendar, so you can put every single primary and caucus in your very own calendar app if you're into that kind of thing. And even I am not that much of an election nerd. Sorry. Anyway, Putnam's page demonstrates a few simple truths. A handful of states will vote in February. A whole bunch will vote in March. By my count, it's around 25, though there are various complexities in law and what's about to happen and so on that will change that. Then there are eight states in April and four states in May, and the rest are either later or not yet decided. So the end of my quest to figure out why states have later primary votes is kind of mixed, The reality is that the majority of U.S. states vote in either February or March, and that's as close as most of them can get to going early without setting off a cascade of other states moving their primaries up. That's the arms race. Basically, Iowa and New Hampshire are holding the line, and Super Tuesday is as early as anybody else can go without weird stuff happening. Now, the other key reason is an attempt by the party to preserve the diversity of the nomination process in terms of geography. There is an active desire not to front-load the process. The longer the primary season goes on, the more engagement and the more movement you have within the primary field. So the later states aren't being stupid here. They're trying to maintain a longer period in which the Democratic Party selects its candidates. That's an idealism thing. They are actively trying to make this into a series of local elections, leading to a national election, rather than piling on in the early days. And that effort should lead to diversity in the candidate base and more travel around the country. And those are the things we want to see in the selection process for any national candidate. The trouble with that is, if you're a state without many delegates, the math just doesn't work out if you wait too long. And right now, the states that wait are not very big. If the big states were to pull back, they might actually change the way the primary process works in ways that benefit the party overall, even though it would feel like it disadvantages that state's residents because they have to wait. But if, say, California or Florida or whatever were to move way back in the calendar, that would create a longer cycle with more complexity, more vigor, and more travel. In the long arc of Democratic primary history, states have moved around their votes quite a bit. But that arc has been trending earlier and earlier over the past 25 years. Expect that to continue unless some big states try to shake things up. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? In a post on Medium yesterday, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand made huge waves, and she did so right in the title of her article. Quote, I will only nominate judges who will uphold Roe v. Wade and protect reproductive rights. End quote. Well, that's pretty direct. In the post, Gillibrand writes about the uptick in state bills restricting abortion that have been popping up recently. Reading from the post, quote, 250 bills restricting abortion. 41 states. In just three months, and another bill signed today in Georgia. That's what the onslaught of Republican anti-abortion state legislation looked like this year. End quote. Gillibrand goes on to attribute this to President Trump, and specifically his nominations of Supreme Court justices Brett Kavanaugh and Neil Gorsuch. She writes, quote, The decision about if and when to start a family should be made by a woman and her doctor, not Republican legislators, not Brett Kavanaugh, and certainly not Donald Trump. End quote. She goes on to make an explicit promise that, if elected, she would only nominate judges, including Supreme Court justices, who will commit to upholding Roe v. Wade as settled law. She discusses her view that the current administration, along with the Republican Party in general, is actively seeking to overturn Roe v. Wade, and that all this action in the states is simply a run-up to a Supreme Court showdown coming, quote, as soon as this year, end quote. In a piece for New York Magazine, Ed Kilgore points out that what Gillibrand is doing feels more explicit than what other candidates have done, but there's been a lot of recent history of candidates having litmus tests just like this on both sides. For instance, Kilgore quotes a piece from The New Republic referencing the 2016 election. Quote, During the beginning of the third presidential debate, Trump came out hard against abortion. He affirmed that, if elected, he would appoint only pro-life judges to the Supreme Court and that Roe v. Wade would be, quote, automatically, end quote, overturned, end quote. And then Kilgore points to several comments by Hillary Clinton during the same cycle. Here's one from The Hill, quote, Speaking at a Democratic presidential forum on Wednesday night, a person in the crowd asked Clinton whether she would impose a litmus test upon potential Supreme Court justices other than on the issue of being pro-abortion. I do have a litmus test. I have a bunch of litmus tests because the next president could get as many as three appointments, the first lady responded. It's one of the many reasons why we can't turn the White House over to the Republicans again. End quote. Kilgore concludes by suggesting that, in fact, Gillibrand's pledge might either be explicitly or implicitly taken up by other Democratic candidates in this primary field. He writes quote, In reality, nobody thinks anyone in the 2020 Democratic field including former pro-lifers Joe Biden and Tim Ryan, would run the risk of placing anyone on the Supreme Court who would countenance a rollback of the federal constitutional right to choose. But pressure to elevate that position to a solemn and explicit pledge reflects the simple fact that after years of false alarms, reproductive rights really are hanging by a thread, which will be severed or strengthened by the results of the 2020 elections. End quote. And last up today, in a piece for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, Bill Glauber looks at the surprising influence of Fox News on the Democratic primary. While the network typically appeals to voters on the conservative side of the spectrum, increasing numbers of Democratic primary candidates, including some very liberal ones, are going on Fox. So what's up with that? Well, the first thing is that the Democratic National Committee has barred Fox News from airing the official debates. So Fox is looking for some way to cover this primary election. Reading from the piece, quote, Fox News has muscled its way into the process by offering candidates a valuable commodity, airtime during televised town halls. U.S. Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont was the first Democratic contender to take up the Fox invitation last month in Pennsylvania. And Wednesday, at the Grain Exchange in Milwaukee, before an invited audience in the city that is hosting the 2020 Democratic National Convention, U.S. Senator Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota gets her 60 Minutes on Fox. The event begins at 5.30 p.m. Central Time. End quote. As I've covered previously on this show, the Sanders appearance went great. He got huge media attention when Fox News hosts polled people in the town hall room about some of the key Sanders platform ideas, such as moving to a single-payer healthcare system. When the audience clapped and cheered at that idea, well, Sanders was off to the races. So, Klobuchar gave her rationale in an interview with the Journal Sentinel. Quote, I think you have to reach everyone. And I've always believed in my runs for office and in my governing style that you go not just where it's comfortable, but you go where it's uncomfortable. And that includes on Fox News. Even though I don't agree with some of the editorial content there, much of it, I still believe I can answer the questions and make my case to the voters. End quote. And the Sanders campaign actually echoed that sentiment. Quote, Jeff Weaver, a senior advisor to the Sanders campaign, said, The point of going on Fox had nothing to do with Fox, but reaching out to the people in America who see Fox. Anybody who wants to be president of this country needs to reach out to all Americans, he said. End quote. The article goes on to detail how the Sanders' appearance drew 2.6 million viewers, making it the highest-rated town hall event so far in this primary cycle. In addition to Klobuchar's event tonight, two other Democratic primary candidates have already agreed to do similar appearances on the network. They are Pete Buttigieg and Kirsten Gillibrand. So tune in tonight to see what happens, I'll tell you more about it tomorrow, and we'll see if lightning can strike twice for Democratic candidates on Fox News that's it for another episode of the primary ride home i have been your host chris higgins you can always find me on twitter at chris higgins now today marks the one month anniversary for this podcast and i am super grateful that y'all are with me for the ride we've still got more than a year to go and i am ready for it thanks for listening and i will talk to y'all tomorrow